Everyone knows Law Matters was created to open the lines of communication between law enforcement and the community. Over the course of the last year, we have become painfully aware of the very negative headlines national media projected across the country regarding all law enforcement agencies. Over the last several months, and after numerous investigations, we have learned that these negative headlines did not tell the whole story, but rather painted a picture designed to diminish the rule of law and those whose job it is to enforce it. Law Matters wants you to hear all the facts so you can decide for yourself. As these investigations conclude, these stories will be featured on our Truth Matters page on lawmatters1030.org website. Now, let's start the show. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Our guest today is ATF Special Agent in Charge, Iber. How you doing? Great. Thank you so much for having me. And he doesn't want us to say this, but PIO Cody Monday is here as well. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> told you I was throwing you under the bus. I want to hear about you. I want to hear about your, your history. What got you involved with law enforcement? Yeah, um, that's kind of an interesting story because I'm, I'm told I'm kind of an anomaly here, but uh, I always knew I wanted to be in law enforcement since I was a little kid. And I don't know if that's growing up watching the, the show Chips, you know, if you remember that one <laughs> or do. not. But uh, there's there's pictures of me and my, you know, as a young 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 man or young boy i should say in uh you know police outfit and running around with you know helmets and badges and, and things like that and, giving uh, tickets to your friends yeah right <laughs> <laughs> my parents um you know so so it was something that i always wanted to do and i knew this was the career path that i wanted to take so uh you know and unlike uh it seems like a lot of people I come across that say they didn't know what they wanted to do till later on in life. I I knew this was this was something I always wanted to be involved with. So, so why ATF? So that's an that's another interesting question. Um, so when I was in college, I uh, I was looking to do an inter- internship. I had criminal justice was getting my degree in criminal justice, and and uh, ATF was was one of those agencies that had internships available and and growing up where i did uh outside of dallas texas all i knew about atf was waco and the oklahoma city bombing um and and so i went in did an internship with them and and it was the it was eye-opening it 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 truly uh opened my eyes to what atf atf really does and i got to meet some fantastic people some people that were in waco some people that were there at the oklahoma city bombing and and some other uh fantastic agents and and i was kind of hooked so you know i think that's atf has a a mystery as far as the public's concerned they're like okay atf what do they do but some of those incidents that you're talking about unless you hear the inside story of what was going on you're listening to the news it's very misleading (laughs) I don't know if you can address that, but, you know, I, I always thought, well, wow, why would they do that at Waco? And after I heard the inside story, I'm going, wow, why didn't they do it sooner? Yeah, you know, there was there were some mistakes made in, in Waco, you know, and, and what we've we've learned about. Obviously, I wasn't an agent then. I was a, uh, I was in high school uh, when that went down. It was actually just the 30th anniversary uh, for, for Waco. Um, so, uh, it, or was it the Oklahoma City bombing? Uh, no, it was no, it was Waco. Waco. Oklahoma City bombing was two two years after that. But anyways, I apologize. Um, there is, and and like I said, we we made some mistakes, and and it, it changed our agency. It changed the way we do our planning and and things for operations. And um, but but there was a lot going on there. You know, there was a lot going on there that uh, it needed to be addressed. Yeah, so. absolutely. So, what is the main mission of ATF? 
and tell people what ATF stands for. Yeah, so ATF is the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Farms, and Explosives. We're under the United States Department of Justice, and and that's, uh, you know, we are responsible for the federal, and um, we're the federal law enforcement arm for federal alcohol, tobacco, farms, explosives, <laughs> and arson laws. You know, and but but if you want to break it down even more, you know, the majority of our cases uh, fall under the illegal possession and the illegal trafficking of firearms. Uh, we also have the explosive side and arson side. The alcohol and tobacco kind of brings us back to our roots, our roots you know, during the Prohibition era and, yeah. and Elliot Ness and, and things. And, uh, and there's still diversion that goes on with those. Um, but the majority of our cases are... Um, we're looking at the illegal possession and and the the, the firearms trafficking that occurs. Can you? Um, so that is your mission. Just yes, basically, that's the mission of what you do. Yeah. Was it always and explosives? We always had the explosives element. Because um, I was looking it. at ATF, and then it says and explosives. I thought they could have been named Fade instead of ATF. Well, you know, <laughs> you know a, we're one of those three-letter agencies. So uh, after you had to keep it to three letters, <laughs> it's required. I wasn't the one making that decision at the time, but um, that was, you know, we used to be under the the Department of of Treasury, and then after nine eleven, we we were shifted under the Department of Justice, and that's uh, when the E, the silent E, came in. You know, but we were always working explosives prior to that. What's your career history? Where have you been? What have you done? Sure. So um, if we go back, I, I you know, I did my internship in college, and, and ATF was not hiring at the time when I graduated. And, and probably some of the best advice they ever got from an ATF agent was go be a local police officer. So uh, that's what I did. And and I was a local police officer uh, in a town called Carrollton, Texas, which, which borders the north uh, part of Dallas um, and for a little over three years. And then ATF called and said congratulations we want to hire you and, and you're going to phoenix arizona so phoenix arizona oh my goodness what is in phoenix arizona <laughs> you know when you when you get hired on with atf they give you a list of of cities preferable cities that you want phoenix arizona is about a thousand miles away from the closest city i put on that list uh <laughs> so i was a little confused about what was going on and and it was you know um it was kind of interesting. The lady said, hey, you know, there's 3,000 other people that want your job, so take your leave. I said, no, ma'am, I'm taking it, you know, and <laughs> and packed up my my U-Haul, you know, and uh, and came out to Phoenix. And, and I spent about 10 years here in Phoenix as, as an agent and then uh, promoted. And my first um, supervisor position was in Oklahoma City. Uh, and then from Oklahoma City, I went out to our academy. I was the branch chief running uh, over our basic training program. Where's your academy? It's in Glencoe, Georgia, at the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center. Oh, okay. yeah. So, it's about an hour south of Jackson. Um, I'm sorry, hour south of Savannah, Georgia, hour north of Jacksonville, Florida, right on the coast there. Okay. Um, and then from there, I I promoted again to the assistant special agent in charge. Where four and a half years was in Chicago, Illinois. Yay! So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a beautiful city. And and then and then after that, and then in May of last year, I would. Uh, became the special agent in charge back here in in Phoenix for the Phoenix Field Division. So you like it? You like being in Arizona? I love it. Okay. You know, I I, I got to be honest with you. It was, it was the uh, Chicago winters were 
we're we're getting a little brutal for me you know <laughs> that's the farthest north i've ever lived in my life if you you know you, you know and you're my, right on the lake so that makes oh, yeah. it worse <laughs> oh yeah um you know so so I, i'm loving it here i'm loving it here you yeah, all um, thought out and everything oh yeah hey, my, my blood has has thinned you know it's when it hits 60 or 50s i'm like what's going on i need a, I need a coat or something like, <laughs> I, you know people in chicago think i'm nuts it's like oh my god it's 60 degrees i yeah. take out a parka yeah <laughs> okay i want to talk about some of the things that that you guys do let's talk about gun trafficking because that seems to be a big thing it's a very big thing especially here in arizona yeah um you know in firearms are are interesting you know firearms are not like narcotics where um you know your methamphetamines your fentanyl which is the big topic now is uh you know your cocaine is is illegal in and of itself just to possess it firearms are not so where we get in is is how at what point in time does that gun go from legal commerce into illegal commerce and and so that's where it starts and and firearms trafficking truly starts uh a lot of it is straw purchasing and and straw purchasing is when an individual goes into a, a gun store, a federal firearms licensee, and purchases a firearm that says it, it's for themselves, when in fact it is not for themselves. Someone else has asked them to purchase the firearm or is paying them to purchase this firearm, and that's where the trafficking starts. And then, you know, it's not just one firearm, it is... Carload. Well, it can be carloads, and it can be uh, a bunch of firearms. And ammunition is the same thing. Um, and so... You know, and that's that's firearms trafficking, and and we talk about firearms trafficking here in Arizona, but there's there's kind of three aspects to it. There's there's international firearms trafficking, which we see on the news a lot. These a lot of firearms are going to Mexico. Um, you have firearms that are going to other states where they may have stricter state laws, uh, so you have trafficking there, and then you also have domestic trafficking. Uh, and domestic trafficking, you can look at it as when we have these individuals. Um, that are prohibited from possessing firearms, your felons in possession and, and and people like that. How did they get the firearm in the first place? They got it somehow. Some, did someone buy it on their behalf? Uh, did they, you know, there's there's different ways that they come across these things. Was it stolen out of a, a burglary out of a vehicle or an FFL? Or, um, so there's trafficking, there's domestic trafficking as well. Okay, you said FFL. Tell I'm them sorry. What it means. Yes, Federal Firearms <laughs> Licensee. It is a gun store. Yep, you got to you gotta keep, if I, I gotta keep, keep using these, these acronyms, yes, then just, uh, then just stop me and, and I'll, I'll clarify that. Okay, you said state laws. Sure. All state laws aren't the same when it re- comes to gun ownership, right? No, correct. They're not. Would your job be easier if they were? Um, I don't. I don't know if it'd be easier uh, to be honest with you, because you're still going to have firearms trafficking. You're still going to have individuals acquiring firearms that uh, that cannot possess them, and you know, unfortunately for these this criminal element that is that's going about acquiring these these things uh if they would put their ingenuity into legitimate business or legitimate things they would probably be millionaires um and so you know it it, it it's always um they're always coming up with new ways to to acquire these firearms so i don't know if the state laws if they were the same would would make our job easier because we don't enforce state laws either um it's it's federal firearms laws that we enforce, and those are the same throughout the United States. 
Well, Arizona, you don't have to have a, a permit to carry a gun to own a gun, right? Sure. So it just makes sense that if you're going to own a gun, like driving a car, you have to go get a license, learn how to do it. Why wouldn't they make it so you have to learn how to use this thing before you buy it? You have to qualify. Well, that's not for me to decide. Um, no, but wouldn't know, it be easier if, if that was part of the process? You know, I would say this. I would say that if 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 people want to purchase firearms and own firearms, they should be familiar with with those items that they're they're purchasing. Um, you know, just like anything else, you would purchase uh, you you. you you want to be familiar with it and be comfortable with using it. And, and firearms, you know, is not like a TV when you buy a new TV and you're trying to find channels and things. There's actually, you know, there's some deadly consequences that could, that could happen if they're not used properly. And, and when they are used properly, there are deadly consequences as well, but, but hopefully those are justified. Explain what ghost guns are. We hear that a lot in the news, and it's like, okay, what is it? Yeah, so ghost guns are... Um, uh, that's the, the the they're they're privately made firearms. PMFs is what what we refer to them as. And and ghost guns uh, is just you know a nickname for these privately made firearms. And and basically what happens is is uh, there's no serial numbers. There's there's no manufacturer imprinted on on these frames of receivers of these firearms and so it makes it very hard for us to trace these firearms when they're recovered in in crimes um now if you're a private citizen you can make your own firearm and you don't have to serialize it you don't have to put any markings on it if it's you're making it for yourself and for you uh it's it's when uh, we had companies that are they 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 send out these buy-build shoot kits, and, and it's basically a combination of parts, and all you got to do is kind of put them together and mill them out. There's a little bit more to it. Um, but they ATF has determined that those need to be serialized before they're put out because now you're in the business of, of manufacturing firearms for the most part. Now, like I said, individuals can 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 make their own. They don't have to serialize them. There's there's nothing that goes along it. But when you get into the, the business of actually manufacturing these things for profit and for livelihood, well, then you have to follow the the guidelines and, and the rules and the laws that are set up. It would be like buying a car that didn't have a VIN number. Yeah. Same, same. Yeah. And and that's where, you know, firearms tracing is is a big a big uh, tool that that law enforcement uses, not only ATF but all of our other federal, state, and local partners, is is uh, when these firearms are recovered in crimes and we trace them, uh, then we can start figuring out how did it get from legal commerce into illegal. When was that? When would when did that when did happen? that happen? Yeah, but when if we can't trace them, we don't know who the first original purchaser was. So these kits that are sold, can if a gun like that is used in a crime, can that person who manufactured that kit be held accountable because he didn't put a, a number on it? Yeah, if we if we determine that they're they're manufacturing these things uh, for their for their business, so these companies were making these buy build shoot kits. Now they are required to get a federal firearms license. Uh, an FFL, uh, a manufacturing, and serialize those things before they send them out. Okay. Um, and and so that law that law 
uh, that ruling changed uh, late last year. Um, I want to say it was late last year, and uh, hopefully Cody can. I believe it was 2022 in November. But, uh, and so now those are required to get serialized. And then if an individual had one of these privately made firearms prior to this ruling, uh, it, there's no requirement to, to serialize those. But if they bring it into a federal firearms licensee or something to to get worked on, to get repaired or, or whatever, um, then that federal firearms licensee is then required to stamp a serial number on there. Oh. Yeah, that was part of the new ruling. Oh, that's cool. And if they don't, they're in deep doo doo. Well, they're in they're in violation. <laughs> but how would you know? Well, yeah, yeah. never mind. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm looking at this list here, and in this N I B I N, tell me what this is about. Sure. Um, NIBIN stands for National Integrated Ballistic Information Network, and NIBIN is. Every firearm, when fired, leaves distinctive marks, kind of like a fingerprint. Okay. That is, that is unique in and of itself to that firearm, where the, where the ejector, you have ejector marks, you have where the firing pin strikes the, the, the brass of the, of the bullet, of the casing there. Um, and so each one of those, like I said, each firearm has its own distinctive fingerprint. And so when these shell casings are recovered from a scene, we can then start linking crime. So let's say a shooting happened in Flagstaff, Arizona, and all they had were shell casings at the scene. Well, you could pick up the shell casing, you put them in this, this system, this National Integrated Ballistic Information Network system, NIBIN, and then let's say there was a shooting in Phoenix with the same firearm. When those shell casings are recovered, you put those into the system as well. They talk... And then you can link the crimes. This firearm was used not only in Flagstaff, but in Phoenix. And then when you recover the firearm, you do a test fire of that firearm, your crime guns, when they're recovered, and you put them into the system as well. And then you have the firearm that was used to commit the crime up in Flagstaff, to commit the crime in in Phoenix. And then we can start working on who possessed that firearm if we don't know already and, and how that firearm got into the hands of this individual. How do you find people? How do you hunt them down? We're, you know, it's a big country. <laughs> it's a huge country, and and we can't do it ourselves. And and uh, you know, and that's why, you know, law enforcement across the nation, and you see it is is how do we combat violent gun crime? How do how do we do it? And so you know, there's there's plenty of different tools, and NIBIN is just one tool in that entire investigative process to figure out who done it. Who know? done it? Yeah, yeah. It's who, a national thing. Yes, ma'am. So you can have somebody committing a crime in New York and they're living in California now and they commit a crime there. You can go, oh, you did that. Correct. And just because, you know, and that's where it gets tricky, just because the firearm was used in in two different places doesn't mean the person that ultimately possessed it when you catch the person with the firearm was the one that did that did it, that did those different shootings because because firearms change hands all the time, especially in the criminal element. Um they are constantly looking to swap to swap guns. firearms to to get rid of them to use them to barter for narcotics or or whatever or when they use them in a crime they know they need to get rid of it because they don't want to get caught with that firearm so you know that's where the investigation truly starts is is how do you put all those pieces together and so NIBIN is just one tool in that entire investigative process wow okay that sounds really 
complicated. <laughs> it really isn't. Uh, it really isn't. Um, Niven, you just hey, just look at it as that is the fingerprint of the firearm. You pick up shell casing, you put it in the system, the system takes a picture of it, and then when another one's recovered in another crime scene, the system takes a picture of it, and then it kind of gets put together, and, and now, now you have a lead. You know, now you have a lead to at least get you started somewhere. So, Well, okay. I'm glad you know how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so what other tools do you use? Not just, I know, fingerprints and, and this Nibin thing. What other tools do you use when you're like an explosive situation? Like what happened in, in Hershey, Pennsylvania? I'm assuming it's Hershey, Pennsylvania. They had an explosion. Do you go investigate those even though it might be like a gas leak? Yeah, we'll respond to to any explosive incident. Uh, we're immediately responding to that because you don't know as soon as it, it happens, for the most part, what is going on. And then we'll get there and, and we'll assess or we'll have our state and local counterparts or our FBI counterparts who also, also do explosives say, hey, you know, we're on the scene. It's this is it was a gas leak or it was, you know, it wasn't uh, criminal in nature. But when you come across those those criminal acts of using explosives, uh, then then we get into it and, and we have. We have explosive detection canines, uh, so we have dogs that that will. Uh, and and actually, my my PIO here, Cody Monday, just spent about eighteen years in the in the canine branch. So he's he's probably more educated on this than I am. Did you get to keep your dog? No, I did not. Oh, yeah. So, but uh, but that can that can find trace amounts. That can smell trace amounts of of explosive material. Um, whether that's on a firearm that's been used, whether that's on a, a shell casing or a bullet or in this particular instance that we're talking about in pipe bombs or explosives materials. And, They'll alert to it. Yeah. And so we have those, and then we have certified explosive specialists. So they go into Huntsville, Alabama, and get a bunch of training, and they're, they come up to date on on the latest uh devices being used and how to render them safe and we also have bomb techs as well so you have ces certified explosive specialists and then we have the bomb techs the guys that actually put on suits and i was gonna say those those yeah that's they were there huge and as a matter of fact i'm sorry i didn't mean to cut you off you know and as a matter of fact uh just i want to say it was three weeks ago or four weeks ago uh atf has partnered with the u.s army for what we call raven's challenge and we just had that up at pinal air park and what it is is we've get these um, bomb squads from not only across the country but we had we were represented by five different nations that came to Pinal Air Park and we get these bomb techs and we put them through real life scenarios where they can use explosives to countercharge the devices that they find and and the good thing is is that you take these um you take these bomb techs, and they think they're showing up, and they're going to be all right. This is my team, right? I'm, I'm the team. No, so we take those guys and we or gals, and we match them up with the mix them up with a state and local or another federal agency, and and so they have to work together, and and then they're sharing ideas and they're sharing methods that they've encountered and devices that they've encountered across the world on on how they defeated those those 
certain situations and how they got around them and they trade ideas and, and it's and it's a really great thing so. some really unique situations and they re- reenact them yeah and and uh it's fantastic and, and it was something when i was going to the atf national academy you know I, I i think i was uh doing really great in the academy until the explosives and the arson block came and then i realized i wasn't going to be the valedictorian of the class because <laughs> that uh you know that was um it they're, they're they're really special people that do that, and they're they're brilliant, and and it's a uh, it's a certain calling to do that. And and in yeah. my career, it wasn't it was not me, but uh, yeah, it wouldn't be me either. Yeah, you know what? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a few. To report suspected human trafficking, please call the National Human Trafficking Resource Center at 1-888-373-7888 or text HELP or INFO to 233-733. To learn more about Homeland Security investigations and our efforts to combat human trafficking, please visit our website at www.ice.gov or check out the DHS Blue Campaign at www.dhs.gov slash blue campaign. For more information on the Southern Arizona Anti-Trafficking Unified Response Network, please visit us at www.saturn.org or find us on Facebook. There are so many creative scams going on in the Medicare industry that we at Law Matters can barely keep up. We have asked an expert in this arena to filter facts from fiction. If you have questions or concerns, please call Jimmy Stewart at 520-247-2464. He is a licensed professional who can bring clarity to the constant flux in this complex industry. That's Jimmy, 247-2464. Saving lives means staying informed. Knowing the dangers of using counterfeit prescription pills can help those you care about and keep our community safe. As a parent, educator, neighbor, or friend, we all play a role in building safe and healthy futures for ourselves and our loved ones. Do your part. Take the first step today. Visit GetSmartAboutDrugs.com to access education, prevention, and treatment resources. Counterfeit prescription pills laced with fentanyl are deadly. Be their protector. Be informed. Visit GetSmartAboutDrugs.com. Law Matters Live Show opens the lines of communication between you and law enforcement. On our next show, Pima County Attorney Laura Conover answers your questions. So get them ready and call in at 790-2040. Law Matters is asking you to help sponsor our mission by contributing on lawmatters1030.org. Every dollar counts and together we can back the blue while we keep the conversation going. Law Matters podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and lawmatters1030.org. Thanks for staying with us. Our guest today is ATF Special Agent in Charge Iber, and we're talking about ATF and taking, pulling back the curtain. We're exposing all the things that they do. Tell us about some of the successful arrests and some of the not so successful arrests. You know, there's there's been some great cases, and, and especially since I, I, I've been here in May. Um, you know, every day, I will say this, every day we are encountering trafficking, and especially trafficking of firearms into Mexico is is a big thing. I have two two groups, one in Phoenix and one in Tucson, that their sole mission is dedicated to the southbound trafficking of firearms. You have an office in Tucson? Yes, ma'am. Oh, didn't yep. know that. Okay. So Yeah, so the Phoenix Field Division covers uh, the entire state 
of Arizona, and then I have the northern half of New Mexico as well. Um, so, yeah, so I have two two groups now all my groups do firearms trafficking when they when they come across it and but two groups solely dedicated to that uh and then so every day and and we work with our we have Arizona has some of the best law enforcement agencies that I, that I've come across and I'll say that Arizona DPS you know even our federal partners HSI we work very closely with them Customs and Border Protection Border Patrol uh Arizona DPS our state and local partners uh, you know, it's 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 obviously a, a it's an issue, um, but every day we are encountering individuals that are having other people go into these these gun stores, these FFLs, um, and and lying on the form forty four seventy three to acquire firearms. And they're not only doing going into FFLs; they're also using um, you know the the dark web to to contact other folks and and acquire the farms for the sole purpose of bringing them down to Mexico. So, uh, we are, we are coming across that quite a bit. And, and, you know, we, sometimes we will make stops and makes arrests and there's 50 guns in the car, but you know, um, just one going down south of the border for nefarious purposes is, is enough. So we, we come across, uh, firearms where there's only one, um, for 50 caliber, um, rifles you know and and but part of our whole success in firearms trafficking and the arrests and and the things we get also stems from uh the cooperation of of not only citizens that see this going on uh but also your federal firearms licensees you know these guys and gals are in the business um that's their livelihood yeah, you know, and and they don't want they don't want bad things to happen to their livelihood. That's how they support their families and and things like that. And so, uh, a lot of them, when they see what they believe to be a straw purchase or uh, other things happening in their their gun store, they share that information with us, which is which is truly appreciated um, because the citizens and and these guys are and gals are really the first line of defense to shut this down. And and we can't we can't do it without them. Does Mexico have? I know when you come this way, you have to declare. Does Mexico have that process going into Mexico? I've never driven into Mexico. I've never driven into Mexico either, to be honest with you. So you don't you don't know if you have to declare. Uh, there's there's some some southbound stops that you know um that can happen that do happen from time to time because mexico i mean mexico we we working closely with them uh they they truly don't want this violence going on in their country either I, you know yeah. their citizens don't want this violence going on in their country and and unfortunately we're kind of caught in this uh, I, I don't want to call it an ecosystem but you know um people in and illegal narcotics are coming north and firearms are going south and these firearms are being used by these cartels to to maintain their control over certain areas and their routes and and things like that and it's just uh it's a vicious cycle so um you know it's it's difficult because you 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 work with your counterparts and you know there is some cooperation on both sides but then on the news they'll say you know okay don't go to mexico it's dangerous go here and here and here and here and they'll put a map up of different colors and tell people don't don't go there right and these this different sections are owned by different cartel 
and some are more dangerous than others. It's it's confusing, but you do work with your counterparts down in Mexico. We have to. Um, and and the, the big thing is if you look at the tracing that Mexico has done, they're, they're increasing their their firearms tracing um which which helps us on on the u.s side identify some of these straw purchasers and traffickers so hopefully we well not hopefully we do stop quite a few firearms from ever getting mexico in the first place um and we're not the only ones like i said our state local and, and other federal counterparts are are in on this as well so you stop somebody and they've got 50 guns in the back of their vehicle yeah what do you do with them? You have to hold them. That's evidence. You have to hold them for a court hearing, right? Sure. And, you know, first we've got to determine, can they legally possess these firearms and, and what are these firearms used for? So, Because, okay. like I said, again, just because... A hunting trip. Well, sure. <laughs> it, and look, if I think we can all agree that there's certain people in society that should never possess gun. firearms or own firearms. But if you can and you're legally allowed to well then you can buy as many firearms as you want and that's that's not up to me to decide you know but it's it's that's where the investigation gets started so we get tips we get leads and and we make these traffic stops and let's say there's 50 well then the investigation continues until we can determine that that these are actually going for nefarious purposes right and and uh and for the most part, when you come across a, a, a carload of 50 firearms that's going south and, uh, you know, it's for the most part, those those end up being seized by us. And then we put them into evidence and submit the case to the U.S. Attorney's Office and work really closely with them and uh, continue to build the case and, and ultimately get these individuals charged. So does the driver of that car get arrested? Yes. Any passengers yes. get arrested? It depends on on how the interview goes um, and how, you know, and and what we can determine at the time, you know. But, yes, anybody that we can determine that is involved with the firearms trafficking scheme, then absolutely we're going to arrest those individuals. So have you had any cases lately in your career that have been, like, on the news? Mine, personally? Yeah. Um, You know, since you... Since getting into supervision, yeah, I, unfortunately, I don't work too many cases anymore. It took the fun you know, out of it. I, yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, like I said, when I'm sitting, when I'm sitting on my living room floor at five years old wearing a chips helmet and, and a badge, you know, I never thought that I would be sitting behind a desk, you know, in my law enforcement career and and uh, watching all the the great men and women in this agency do the do work they, that I they. that I used to do. do but um, you know, I. I uh, so before I, I actually promoted to supervisor in, in Oklahoma, I did have a case in in um, in Phoenix, and it wasn't firearms trafficking. What I did was basically ran an undercover storefront uh, where we bought over 200 firearms from multiple individuals that, that shouldn't have had possessed That's, the firearms in yeah. the first place and, and narcotics and... and uh, you know that made the news, and uh, and it was actually at one point in time uh, used, from what I was told, and I don't know if this, I wasn't there, so it was used to brief Congress on on how to properly run a storefront. Well, there you undercover go, undercover storefront investigation. So, not I'm trying <laughs> trying to be 
I'm not trying to brag. I, I you know, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> no, but so, that's pretty cool. It, no, it was cool. It, it was really cool, and and obviously it wasn't it wasn't just me that did it. I was the case agent on it, but I had, had plenty of partners and and help uh, throughout. Every so, yeah, it takes a team. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely, it takes a team. Okay, what is your relationship? your partnership with different like state and local law enforcement, county sheriffs and stuff like that. Do you guys work together on cases? Absolutely. So Uh, describe it to me. Sure. We can't, we can't do it without them. Right. Um, You know, long gone are the days that, that law enforcement works in silos. And, and so you have to share information. You have to work together Um, and, you know, different agencies and, and, and different, partners have different missions but if we can all work we're all here dedicated to to keeping our community safe i think that's the ultimate goal um is to keep community safe so anytime we can get together and work and and combine resources we absolutely do and so atf's big push is is getting all all of our state and local and, and federal partners to to trace their crime guns when they're recovered and then also enter to enter their shell casings and and their test fires into the niben system for their crime guns and their crime scenes and and right now if you if you look at it arizona is actually really good um as far as tracing firearms i believe it the last thing i saw was about 68 percent of all law enforcement agencies within the state of arizona are, are have e-trace accounts to trace their crime guns or if you look nationwide it's more about 50 percent Oh. So Arizona's doing doing fantastic, but we're still constantly trying to educate our state and local partners to to trace your firearms, you know, to to enter them into Niven. Um, we're actually working right now with with Arizona Haida, uh, high intensity drug trafficking area, to to make Niven machines more readily available throughout the state. Uh, so our partners don't have to drive four hours to enter it into a machine that we can get it. Uh, we can get the the quick entries therefore we get quick leads out of out of the the information that comes from this to, to what's then, the cost of that if it's if it's uh is it a software thing or are you talking physical no it's it's, it's a physical machine and and basically it's uh you know like your old <laughs> the best way i can describe it is an old like uh, desktop computer okay you know and and that's about the size of it with a screen and things and and you take your shell casing um or your test fire shell casing and you put it into the machine and it and it takes a picture of it a 3d image of all the way around and then it sends it off to um the national correlation center which is in huntsville alabama and algorithms go through and it pops up and it says okay you have possibly a hundred matches and then you have individuals that sit there and side by side comparison these these so you still need a a human you still need a human just like fingerprints you still need that henry glass that's correct and and just like um anything else so they just say hey this is a potential match and 90 percent probability sometimes higher that these these two match up so then your investigation starts and ultimately when you go to trial when you go to court to to charge these individuals uh, you still have to have a firearms examiner to come in and do like you would fingerprints a, a right. certified person to go in there and say yes this matches this showcasing is, is an exact match this showcasing came from the same, same gun. yes ma'am interesting yeah okay tell me about different job opportunities like i said people think atf it's kind of a mystery yeah but it's not just special agents 
No. What what all do you hire for? So yeah, so obviously special agents. We have the law enforcement uh, side of things. The the badge carrying and the and how long does it take to go through training? <laughs> um, yeah. So to get hired, you're looking at right now about a year, year and a half from from the time that you apply to the time you get hired, and then you have to go to training out at Glencoe, Georgia, uh, at the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center. And that takes about six and a half months. So you're 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 looking at two years. Yeah, and you have to have a college degree. For the most part, yes, you do. There's there's some exceptions. Um, right now if you have i believe it's three years of investigative experience not just patrol officer experience but you're an actual detective with a state and local uh or military uh military no because you still have to have some investigative experience if you were military um, police doing investigations yeah um you know like your oigs your air force oig or or something like that absolutely that would that would translate over and, and those are 1811 so that's uh, which 1811 is the job series for special agents. Uh, I, I'm sorry, you know. Um, so, so you have that. You have that side. Um, but for the most part, you do need a college degree uh, to to get on with this agency. Most federal agencies, you have to have a college degree. Yes, ma'am. There's some exceptions, like I said, but it's uh, it's very rare. But then you also have so you have the special agents. Um, and then we, what we have is we have our industry operation investigators, and those are the regulatory uh, individuals. Those are the ones that go out and are responsible for issuing your federal firearms licensees uh, their their license, uh, do their inspections as well. So they'll go out; they can go out at, um, once a year, and which it usually isn't once a year, and, and do an inspection of these federal firearms licensees and make sure they are they are recording and following the regulations that are set up to operate one of those. We also have federal explosive licensees, which they are the explosives manufacturers. And Do they have stores that... No, <laughs> you, you know, you can't just walk in there and buy some milk and, and a quarter stick of dynamite or anything like no, that. But, nothing like that. But no, I mean, you know, it's, uh, you know, you, a lot of your mining operations and, you know, your airbags and, okay. and things like that. Uh, 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 companies like that to have to acquire one of these licenses. So okay, I didn't know yeah. airbags had to have a license. They use an explosive uh, to, you know, when when they're active, blow up in yeah, your face to blow up in your face. Charming. So <laughs> what is this one hundred and one? Well, that's yeah. So that's IOI. That's your industry operation investigator. Um, not one one. That's the one I was just talking about. There are regulatory folks. They're the ones that go out there and and issue the licenses. See, I thought it was going to be ATF one hundred and one. No, no. <laughs> and then next show it'll be two hundred and one. So that's the two. That's the two main things. And and when I go back and 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 you know we talked about partnerships with our federal firearms licensees is where we need them. Well, we also regulate regulate those individuals and so if we do find those bagged actors which is few and far between i'll tell you that um then we'll shut them down and and if we can we'll criminally prosecute them if if they were violating the law but if um but we can shut them down for uh if they're not following the rules and regulations that were set up do you ever have a um, owner of a firearm store have to testify in court that somebody was a straw buyer we have had them before. We um, will subpoena them. Usually, it doesn't get to that, but uh, they have they have testified before. Absolutely. Do people just confess to you? 
Uh, yeah, a lot of them do. A lot of them, uh, you know, which which is, um, you know, but a lot of Bless them don't. Bless me, Father. Yeah, a, a lot of them, a lot of them don't, and that's, uh, you know, that's where the investigation side of things uh, goes. Do you do you ever have a, a case where you've got like I know Sierra Vista police chief was on, and he was saying that these little kids are being hired to drive. Yeah. Tra- you know, human trafficking type situations. Do you ever have a situation where they hire somebody who really doesn't know what's in the back of the car? It's very rare. Yeah. It's very rare. Or something I, like I, I can't think of a time that we actually had somebody that was driving a carload of firearms around and they said, I had no idea. Now, that happens on the border a lot. Um, or in the, the movies. Yeah, you do come across that. This is not my car, and this is not. And then you, you know, you um, HSI is really good at what they do, and and so is Customs Border Protection. They kind of talk to them a little bit, and they're like, yeah, they kind of knew what was going on. So um, <laughs> you had a clue, you know. Or the passenger of the car says, I don't know, I was just a passenger, and you find out, you know, when you trace the firearms that they actually purchased the firearms three days prior, and their fingerprints are all over yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. so it's uh, it's all, all part of the investigative process there, you know. So. So where is your career going? If you were going to talk to somebody who is thinking about, you know, getting into law enforcement, what sure. what would you recommend for them to do? Um, you know, I, I just had this conversation with a, with a young man actually yesterday. Um, we were doing some training on active shooter investigation. Uh, you know, if that comes out, we will be responding and uh, with our state and local counterparts. And yeah, absolutely. Um we live in these communities and we want to be safe and if we hear there's an active shooter at a school or a business we can't just drive by we will be responding as well um and we did that quite a bit uh unfortunately in chicago when i was up there um but uh and but i had the conversation with the young man he wanted to be an agent uh he's he was a a college student getting ready to graduate he actually applied for us we have we have uh we are accepting applications and and uh and I asked him, you know, I, I kind of explained the year, year and a half that it, that it would take to get through the process once uh, once he's accepted and takes his test. And and I told him the best advice I ever got, which we talked about before, was to go be a state and local police officer. And and, and the reason I said that was because um, that got me. I was able to encounter so many people and learn how to talk to people from all walks of life. You know, growing up in the small town I did in Texas, you know, I, I didn't encounter everybody that, yeah, that you even in, would. in Chicago, you're encapsulated. Yeah, so it, it was great. You learned how to talk to people. You learned how to deal with people and, and to mitigate situations and stuff. But I also told them the two best agents that I've ever encountered uh, with ATF had no experience whatsoever. So I don't know what that anomaly is. So I, I tell these I tell these people, hey, if ATF's hiring and and that's for you, then and go and apply. For me, it was going to be a state and local police officer, you know, um, a local police officer. That was the greatest thing for me personally. But I I don't know what makes agents great and what doesn't. What is that one commonality? I don't know what that is, you know. So It's a calling, I think. It really is. I don't yeah. think you can, you know, it's, it's not a job because there's so much more than a job. Well, it is. Um, it is. And it's, and it's a dangerous job. You know, it, it, it really is, and it's and it's not for everyone. Um, you know, it's and, and people have to make that determination. And, and and honestly, at the when I was at the academy running our basic training, I would talk to the classes and 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 tell them, hey, you know, you you made it in. That doesn't mean you're going to finish the academy. Doesn't mean you're going to make it out. <laughs> but, 
but there's also no shame and if you're getting through this going through this training and putting yourself in these scenarios the explosive the arson scenarios the, the shooting scenarios the tactical situations that we put everybody in and the laws that we learn and everything it, it if it's not for you and you determine it's not for you, there's no shame in saying, you know what, this isn't for me. Um, because ultimately, at the end of the day, we're trying to protect. Uh, we may have to protect ourselves. Uh, we may have to protect our partner. And, and we're always trying to protect the citizens that don't deserve this violence that is going on in the neighborhoods. And, yeah. and if we're not prepared to do that, then then maybe there's another job for you. Break down the training for me. I, I know a lot of it's physical. Yeah. Tell me about it. Uh, we, you have to do a lot of push-ups. You have to do a lot of running. You got to do a lot of push-ups. You got to do a lot of running. And, and when I went through, walls. when I went through, um, you had to do a lot of long-distance running, and that was not my forte, to be honest with you. That, I struggled with that <laughs> a little bit. I uh, I played football in high school, and and uh, I could run short distances, but the long distance was never my thing. So very physically demanding. You're, you're you doing, look like a football player. Well, <laughs> So very physically demanding, um, but then you're also sitting in class eight, ten hours a day, and and you're going in. Like I said, you're learning the laws, uh, you're living on that base, you're in dorms, you're being fed there, and and you're living on that base. But then you have firearms ranges, you know, you're learning how to shoot, and then you have your your tactical situations where you're going into houses and learning how to clear buildings and stuff when you're serving search warrants. Do they or have a Hogan's Alley? Yes, they do, okay. and and I would have to say it's. It's it, it rivals that place. It's called Danis City out there, and it's a fantastic place. Um, and, <laughs> a little competition, yeah, a little here. competition, you know. But uh, no, I uh, I've never visited Hogan's Alley, so I, I would know. But you know, um, but and, and then you also have you know when we get to the explosives block, we are we are learning how to. Uh, We'll blow up vehicles. We'll we'll actually put explosive devices in vehicles, blow them up, and the agents okay. have to go out there and pick up all these little tiny pieces and reconstruct what just happened. And, and and so you're out there, and and like I said, six and a half months of of that, and then your arson. We're actually burning. Uh, we have burn cells where we burn down, let's just say, an apartment, Stuff. and you have to go in there, and you're trying to determine where the where the fire started and and using all of our different tools to to figure that out so there's real life scenarios and practical exercises and so does each element have uh, a certain number of weeks you train for that element so if you want to specialize like in explosives is that a another school outside of sure we give you basic knowledge during the academy of of everything Right. You know, and then when when you actually come out to the field, we expect you on the agent side to be an agent, be an investigator. And and usually for for agents, about five years is when you can start looking into uh, some of these specialties. And so, so it's not right away. No, ma'am, it, it sure isn't. So if you want to be um, a certified explosive specialist or a bomb tech, well, then you start applying and then you're getting your master's degree. Uh, you know, it's three years of schooling uh, for certified explosive specialists for uh, certified fire investigators is another three years. If you want to be a fire investigator, uh, you know, if you want to join our 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 SRT team, which is our SWAT team, uh, you go through a bunch of training. We have advanced undercover schools for our undercover agents that that want to continue to learn how to do undercover and and um, and a bunch of other things. So, 
do they, if you have a college degree, let's say you have your your bachelor's degree and you want to continue, do they help pay for your education? Or are these classes you're talking about applied to a master's degree? Yeah, so... Um Yes, you will get a master's degree in some of those, and ATF actually does pay for. There's certain master's degree programs that ATF will will put you through, like the Army War College and and things like that. Um, but if you just wanted to go out and and get a master's degree uh, and didn't apply through ATF, they wouldn't they wouldn't reimburse you for that. Oh, so you have to know that in advance. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so. If people are interested in becoming an ATF special agent or actually any job, they have all kinds of jobs. Yeah, we do. So we have special agents. We have the IOIs we talked about. We have Intel research specialists, Intel analysts. We have NIBIN contractors, the individuals putting shell casings in. Crime lab. Crime labs, you know. Um, Where's your crime lab? Well, we have have three of them. Um, You can talk, Cody. Atlanta, uh, California, and Maryland. And Maryland. Thank you, Cody. Thank you. (laughs) He's writing as fast as he can. So, So, you know, people can get hired to work in a crime lab. Absolutely. Um, And and so if you go on usajobs.gov, right now we have an open announcement for 1811s, which is the special agent job series. We have a, an open announcement for 1801s, which is our industry operation investigators. But I think right now that's just a Schedule A, which is um, a disability, you know, military disability. It, it's geared towards vets, to, okay. towards veterans, you know, and and um, and so I think. But I'd have to double check on that. Don't don't hold me accountable for that. But I'm going to hold you accountable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, and and to be honest with you, uh, pretty soon, headquarters tells me within a week or two, we will be opening up a job announcement for our Intel research specialists for Tucson, Phoenix, Flagstaff, and Albuquerque. Cool. Yeah. So you're hiring. We're hiring. And, you, you and know, to get a job like that doesn't take a year and a half, or do they all go through the same year and a half I know they talk to everybody in your history. Your your kindergarten teacher on up. Yeah, yeah, you have to get a top secret clearance for us, and so really the the, the drawn out process is that background. You know, your your polygraph and your background takes a long time to to be able to attain that top secret uh, clearance, clearance level. You know, so um, but yeah, but usually your Intel research specialist is you're not doing the physical fitness test, you're not doing the written exam, and and so yeah, so. Um, some take longer than others. The agent position takes the longest. Okay, so if you go to usajobs.gov, you can apply to be an ATF agent or other positions that they have open. Yes, ma'am. So I want to thank you for being here, coming all the way down from Phoenix. No, thank you so much. And Cody, thank you for putting this together. Enjoy your time at the air show. It's going to be awesome. And until next week, I want everybody to shop local, stay safe, and if you take your dog to the air show, don't lock them in your car. The military police will come after you, and they're not they're not kidding. <laughs> Trust me.
Law Matters Live show opens the lines of communication between you and law enforcement. On our next show, Pima County Attorney Laura Conover answers your questions. So get them ready and call in at 790-2040. Law Matters is asking you to help sponsor our mission by contributing on lawmatters1030.org. Every dollar counts and together we can back the blue while we keep the conversation going. Law Matters podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and lawmatters1030.org. KVOI Cortero, AM 1030, the voice of Tucson. Trusted local news and talk. A Bustos Media Station.